just sung a hymn written in about the 6th or 7th century and has been preserved and maintained through the ages down that we can sing because we are a part of that same building that Christ has built and a part of that same church of which we sing his praise. And as we think about these things, there have been many sacrifices that have allowed you to be here this day, sacrifices of men and women, even children, giving their blood in the great profession for Christ who did not deny him. And now you stand here this day as a part of that great building, and you are also called to stand. And as we now read from Matthew chapter 10, continuing through this section of the passage of Scripture where Jesus is specifically addressing uh, persecution, probably one of the longest and most detailed passages on this subject anywhere in the Scripture, let us now pay attention as we now hear from the Word of God, beginning at verse 23, and we'll go down verse, through verse 33 this morning. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And not, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, your more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him, I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Our gracious Father, our heavenly Savior, and our teacher, Spirit, we pray that you would open up our hearts and make us attentive and that we might hear you speaking to us personally today and putting your finger on just what we need. A word of encouragement to those that are discouraged. A word of warning to those who are flippant. A word that would be from your spirit applied to specifically our lives in only the way that you can and only the way that you know. And we pray that this would be a, a strength to us today, that it would Come back in the day that we greatly need it, that we might be able to stand well for Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. The word apostle means those who are sent out, the one, someone who is sent out on a mission. That's what the word apostle means. And we're here in the middle of a conversation that took place with Jesus and his twelve apostles, and he's giving them counsel for being sent out. And here we are really listening, rather, to a 
a smaller intimate conversation that Jesus is having with his 12. This is not in the midst of many crowds and multitudes. This is more small and quaint. And we are allowed to listen in on what Jesus is counseling them as he's preparing them for their great mission of being sent out as his disciples. But not only is he intending for this message to be for his 12, he is intending to now preserve this through all of the ages in his holy scripture so that you might this day come to hear those words and know that Jesus is speaking also to you in these same things. The church today continues in that great mission that Christ started and began here as he set up his kingdom and he has now empowered the church with his authority to go and make disciples. And he is giving us something that will be victorious and truthful. He's not giving us hypotheticals. And we can look back over 2,000 years of history and see how much the church has grown. And yet there is still a mission to be fulfilled. That is why Paul, as he closes his little letter to the Colossians, draws out and calls by name one particular individual in the closing of that letter. And he says, now say to Tychicus that you take heed to your ministry that you fulfill it. And I think that would be a good word of encouragement to us today. Take heed to your specific individual ministry in the context of the corporate church that he has given, and you fulfill that ministry. The nature of your mission work is God leaving you here in a dark place in order to dispel and displace the dark, sinister world with your light of the glorious gospel of the light of Jesus Christ. And that is part of our great mission. In this section of Scripture, Christ has informed His disciples that persecution was inevitable. It's not if it comes to you, but when it comes to you. And it will come in one form or another. And you need to be ready for that. Notice there in verse 23, when they persecute you. And when they do, he says, flee to another city. There's been a lot of instruction and commentary on that particular uh, idea in terms of what happens when persecution comes. But as I handle this very briefly, let me tell you this. It's not cowardly. It's not unfaithful. It's not unchristian. When persecution comes, to flee it. To flee persecution. He says, if faith is not found in this city, uh, don't feel compelled to stay and linger around. Go to the next one and shake the dust off your feet and move on. Some people through the ages have felt that it is unchristian to, to flee persecution. But here, Jesus is giving us a starting general principle to flee persecution if in one place... They do not accept the gospel. You can move on to another place. But there are many exceptions to this. But this should be a starting general principle for you. Now the point is not about preserving your personal safety. 
but rather for the furtherance of the gospel. I have come into personal contact with people that become afraid of certain events and they flee. I've known some people that have even left this country and have moved to other parts of the world in order to find better safety or a safe haven, only to find out some circumstances have happened in those countries and the, they were worse off than they were where they thought that they were in danger. Now, you're the safest in the will of God, no matter where he places you. The point is not about preserving your personal safety. It's about the furtherance of the gospel. We see this as one of the ways that God uses the, to spread the gospel to other parts of the world. He uses persecution. In fact, we see this in Acts 8 when those who were persecuted at the feet of Saul, and we see the dispersion going out, and when they went out, they were not going out silent. They were going out with the word of God, and they spoke and preached and taught the gospel as they went, and we see churches were formed from that. A faithful Christian will be a witness for Jesus Christ no matter where he is, no matter his context, whether he's in jail and imprisoned in China this morning, or whether he is at work whether he is traveling in his community, he will be a faithful witness with his life and his message. It's imperative. And if when persecution comes because of that, a starting principle to consider is to flee that persecution and take that gospel somewhere else. But you never give up your activity for the gospel. And you never fear in the process. Never be afraid. You fight against enemies that are stronger than you. And the walls of the city of Jericho are taller and fortified. And the people of that place have been, have been trained and, and hardened in war. And you have not seen battle in your life. And yet you are not to fear them. They are stronger than you are. But God has given you a promise. God says, I will go with you. I will fight that battle, and you do not need to fear. I am your God. I am their God. I am sovereign. I am their king. I am your king. I am king over it all. Now, you be faithful and fight the battle, and I'll take care of it. Now, first thing, let me just drill this into you right now. Walk around that city seven times, would you? And just blow the trumpets on the seventh time. And just, show, just, just watch and see me. All right, will you trust me in this? And see, th these are the kinds of things we need to be encouraged in today. And the meat of what I want to draw your attention to this morning is this thrice command that Jesus gives between verses 26 and 33. Do not fear, people. Do not fear. What Jesus is teaching his disciples is that there are things right now that they need to take heed in today that will become applicable in their future. And that's like many sermons. I've heard people come into churches and they say, I wasn't fed today, or that wasn't relevant for me today. That wasn't applicable for me today. Folks, there are many sermons that God gives and even Christ gives that are preparing you for the future 
And that is very applicable to you today. So when persecution comes upon you, and it will, then hopefully this message will come back to encourage you not to fear. Our Lord is giving counsel in this intimate setting to his twelve. And I want to speak to you today on this topic of counsel for courage, for your confession in your hour of trial. This is counsel for your courage, for your confession in your hour of trial. Last Lord's Day, we left off with the important truth that whoever will persevere to the end, those are the people that will be saved. We know that the Spirit of God is working in you. He is working through you, and you will persevere as a work of God. But you must persevere unashamedly. And it is only those who will do so, will ultimately and finally confess the Lord Jesus in the face of death. It is those who will be saved. So when you are faced with those things, What are the things that our Lord would have you to remember and to recall? What are the things that will help you through your hour of trial? Before us is one of those passages, and three times the Lord says, Do not fear, verse 26. Do not fear, verse 28. And do not fear, verse 31. And He brings it all to a clenching conclusion in those last two verses, 32 and 33. Let's look at those briefly. At St. Andrews, Scotland, outside of that university, or right a part of it, right, right in that neighborhood, there's a mosaic marker with the initials P.H., which marks the spot and the initials of Patrick Henry in the place that he was burned alive as a heretic. Not the Patrick Henry that you may be thinking. But a different Patrick Henry. In his 20s, Henry from Scotland went to Germany where he came into contact with Martin Luther and others and came to believe convincingly and persuasively in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He returned to his native land of Scotland And began to preach this gospel. And before long, the wrath of the authorities came down upon him and he was in prison. While he was in prison, in his prison cell, a friar named Campbell came to visit him. Friar Campbell informed Patrick Henry that he knew that he was not a heretic and the thing that he was teaching was the truth. And on the last day of February in 1727, they led him to the very spot where that marker is today, and they set fire to him as they tied him to a stake. 
Friar Campbell stood in the crowd that day and cried out for Henry to recant of his doctrines and to pray to the virgin instead of trusting his soul to Christ. And finally, Henry turns to Campbell and looks at him and says, wicked, calls him wicked, and then says, you know well I'm no heretic, and the things I believe are the truth as you have confessed to me in private, and so I now call you to an account for account before the future judgment. And we look right down at verse 26, therefore do not fear them. For there is nothing that will be covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Either now or in the future judgment. And this address is one of those reasons why Christians are not to fear in the face of persecution. The first reason of the three that I will give you this morning from this text why Christians are not to fear in the persecution is because there is a time when everything done in secret will come out into the open. It will be made known. One of the kinds of fears Christians often entertain or grow anxious about is a, is a fear that they in their life will never be noticed. The life that they have given, the commitments that they have made, made for Christ. They have forsaken their earthly jobs and their promotions and all of the things that they could have had here. Perhaps even been persecuted by being separate from family members who disdained the direction that they were going. And yet they come to the end of their lives and whether that be directly in persecution or whether it be a, a, a place where they just sense that, well, what good has it been? Or, or they fear in their life that they just didn't have the impact that they had hoped to have for the gospel with their own life and their testimony. And some Christians live their lives faithfully and are never known and are seemingly Seemingly, never heard. They have lived faithfully in the context of very difficult circumstances that were contrary to their Christian life and their Christian witness, but they stood strong in the face of adversity. They stood faithful in a culture that was governed by darkness. And there are many that may die in obscurity and feel as though their lives had little or no impact on the world. And there are many people today that fear that about their own lives when that time comes. And that fear can be associated with a sense of loss. What has my life meant? What is the purpose of all this? What good did my testimony give? And Jesus says, do not fear. Or think that way. Why? Because your testimony and your witness with both the message that you have and the life that you live will be vindicated. There is a future vindication that our Lord will have for you if you are staying true to the gospel 
and you stand for him. Perhaps, I don't know Patrick Henry, and I don't know all the details of that story, but I do know this, that he probably never imagined ever that a little placard would be put on the very place that he died. And that thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands of people that love the gospel would now know of it 300 years later. He proclaimed, and God continues to magnify that testimony. And that helps us today. Patrick Henry, another Patrick Henry that you may have never heard of, helps us today. So in verse 27, the scripture says, Whatever I tell you in dark, then speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. He, he is saying to hear, preach broadly and, and speak boldly with your life. Never be ashamed. Never be ashamed. When he whispers in your ear, you find the housetop on which to preach. Because it's those little things, those whispers, those promptings of the Spirit, they will all be vindicated when you flesh them out and you live them out and you broadcast them out and you are unashamed of the standards of the testimony that you give for Christ. You will be called names and you will be called a legalist because you have a high standard in the way you adorn the gospel and you want to live it out. So there is a separate distinction between your life and the ones in the world. Do not fear. Do not think it is for naught. Do not fear or think that the difficulties you have or the seeming hopelessness of that stance will just be muted. No. You will be vindicated. Your life and ministry here has a purpose on the earth and even those convictions that you have and the expression of how you live them out is going to be made known in a wonderful vindication that our Lord will give. So don't be fearful that way. The second reason not to fear when you come under persecution is because God limits the amount of damage that can happen to you. Verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Now, Jesus is making an argument here, and he's going for the ultimate thing, the absolute greatest and ultimate thing that most people, that anybody, actually fears the most. The ultimate threat is death itself. It was of Job that Satan said to God, all that a man has, he will give for his skin. All that a man has, he will give for his skin. Here the Lord goes for the ultimate. He makes you face the worst possible scenario that your persecutors could ever do. What is the worst fear that could ever come upon you for the name of Christ? He passes over all the lesser things. Oh, you could lose your house, you could lose your job, you could lose your family, you could lose your country, you might have to flee and be in exile. All those lesser things, he just passes right over him and goes for, the, goes for the biggest and most ultimate fear, and he goes to the very possible worst thing. And Jesus says, don't even worry about that. Why? Because they can't touch your soul. 
They can't have that. God limits the amount of destruction any man or any spirit can have with you. He limits it. He's in control of it. He directs it. And he turns our attention rather to what we ultimately ought to fear, and that is not man, not spirit, but the one who is in charge of that body and soul. He is the one that we ought to fear. He is the one and the only one who has the power to destroy both body and soul. And not only temporally, but eternally. Taking body and soul and resurrecting the body and placing it back with spirit to have one forever tormented in the flames under his wrath forever and ever and ever without any hope whatsoever. God turns all of those fires lit against his saints and martyrs upon those who deny him where they will feel it for the rest of eternity that has no end or no hope. And the torment that the martyrs experience only for moments, the other ones will experience without any end. If you die today and you're without Christ, if you have not had God's wrath against you for your sins dealt with, that will be your life. Without any hope. And yet real torture for all of eternity. It is the most sobering and fearful reality that we can possibly imagine. That is the ultimate fear. If that is true of you, do not let another day go. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. I'm speaking to husbands and wives, children, boys and girls and everyone. If you do not have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord, meaning that you have entrusted your life, not that you just believe the facts of the gospel, not that you just assent with your heart, but you have given him your life, that you have committed your life and your soul and your body now to him. Don't let another day go by without even right now in your heart. Lord, I'm yours. Save me and direct me for the rest of my life. That's all it takes. It's a simple childlike trust and trusting your life humbly over to the Lord. So the second reason we're not to fear is that our persecutors have a very limited authority in what damage they can do. They may destroy the body. They cannot harm the soul. And this one verse has been a very frequent consideration for those who's, who have faced death under persecution. This verse has been quoted with the mouths of those whose bodies are inflamed before they finally breathe their last. This verse. Do not fear. 
That is what gave the reformer John Knox such boldness. At his funeral, it was one of those who was officiating in Edinburgh says, Here lies one that never feared the face of man. And may Knox live up to that namesake. Knox suffered two years in a horrible conditions of a Spanish as a Spanish galley slave. never once feared man. Let the ultimate fear be the one that Jesus draws out here. God Himself. We hold Him in the highest esteem, the highest respect, the highest awe, and one who also has the authority to destroy our soul. Give all your weight to Him. Not to your persecutors. And in the time in which you are persecuted, even to the place where they can take the most biggest thing, the ultimate thing that they think they can take, then you give all your weight to Christ. The third reason we are not to fear is because God Himself greatly values your earthly bodies. And that is something here that comes right on the heels of something that we could draw some wrong conclusions on. Jesus then turns to our earthly value to God. See, our bodies are not just, He doesn't look at them as just merely disposable. These are just waste places that we just are waiting for the time that our spirit is liberated to be with God. No, that is not how God views your body. And some people can get the impression that God doesn't value our earthly lives. Only the spirit that indwells them. And we can in many ways be very Gnostic in this tendency. And sometimes when there are certain saints that God has moved with all passion to forfeit everything they have in this life for the gospel and give up everything and everybody, and they have given such a sacrifice for God, we tend to think then, or we can think, that everything here in this life is disposable and worthless. And that is not where God goes with this. God has a very high value on your earthly body and life. And Jesus wants you to know this in a very tender way. He encourages us that your present life right now, your body, is very precious to Him. He's talking about our bodies here. He's moving now into the realm, not so much future and what will happen to your soul, but he's bringing it right back down to the present and addressing us where we live today. In the previous verse, he, he was addressing our souls, but now he's talking about more earthly things. And God doesn't merely dispose of that. And he's going to illustrate it with two little birds. And here he, he gives us that illustration in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? In the Greek, there is a, a grammatical reference or a grammatical um, aspect here of, of the use of a diminutive. And that is these little, little birds. He's emphasizing their smallness. He's emphasizing their seemingly 
inconsequential value. And he tells them, he says, just two of these little birds, are they not sold for a cent? And that's the word there. A cent, as most, or at least some people that have given some thought to this, have determined that this is just a portion of a day's wage. Some people would say that it is estimated of about 30 minutes of a wage from just a common laborer. That's about what is the amount that we're talking about here. And he says, and not one of them falls. Not, not both, but not one of them falls without or apart from your father. Now notice here, it says apart from your father's will. Never again read this verse thinking that the Father simply knows when these things happen. That is not what the Scripture says here. The assurance is that none of this goes on without God's superintendence of these events. Not one single of those little, little birds falls apart from the Father's direct superintendence of that event. Now, that's hard for us to believe. You think about how you think about life as you go about your life tomorrow and this week and think about how you sift through life and the thoughts that you think about the little things all around you. Because we are such atheists when it comes to things like this. We tend to think that God is not involved in all those little things, the too small or they go, or just too, he just doesn't care. It's just too mundane to even be involved in that. But tomorrow crows are going to be flying over, they'll be nesting or, or eating off your grass and the squirrels will be out uh, finding their acorns that they buried through the, the sparse summer and, and you're going to have all those little things going all around you testifying. And God is not only knowing these things, He is superintending them. And that's where the, the passage in, in Job that you were reflecting on in meditation this morning comes when He says, the hand of the Lord has done this. He says, now go and learn from the animals. Study the life of them and their Creator in whose hand is the life of every living thing. He doesn't just know them doesn't just know these things. And now the Lord could have jumped from verse 29, nor do not spare so for a copper coin, not one of them falls to the ground apart. He could have jumped right from there to verse 31. Do not fear, therefore you are more value of the sparrows. But he doesn't do that. There is something he wants you to know. So he puts an entirely different or another verse right in between those two bookends. And he's going to make it intimate. He's going to make it personal. And he's going to make it individual to you. And that's where verse 30 comes in. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I'm pretty convinced that Wes has more hair in his beard than I do on my head. But he knows for a fact how many that is. If you're a redhead here today, on average, it has been estimated that you have about 90,000 hairs just on your head, Chris, not including the beard. If you are dark-haired, Pierce, it's estimated that you have about 30,000 more. 
to perhaps maybe a little bragging right over. And folks, no matter what they say about you blondes, if you're a blonde, then you've got 30,000 more. It's estimated that blondes have about 150,000 hairs on their head. But you know, God knows specifically, not just in general terms and not just on average terms, but He knows specifically how many you have. And He cares about that. God's providence extends to everything around you, everything about you. And even in Leviticus 14, I say this for encouragement. When he's speaking about the laws for leprous ones and sick ones and mold in houses, he informs us that God is the one that puts the mold in people's houses. And I say that for encouragement. God is superintending every little detail of your life. And you don't have to fear. Don't fear. God's people are the ones He has told He is sovereign over all these things. It is His creation. He is involved in every little detail of every moment and every little atom and molecule and cell that is ever in existence all the time. Do not live in fear. Do not give yourself to this. He says, do not fear because I even care for the sparrows. How much more important is your life and how much more value is even your earthly body than the two little sparrows? The little, little birds. And now the Lord is going to clench this thing by bringing it to a conclusion. He says in verse 32, and you know he's concluding when there. When he says, therefore, old pastor, friend of mine, you say, if it's you ever come to the word, therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. In the previous context, he's bringing it now to a conclusion. Therefore, I'm concluding, Jesus says, here is what you need to get from all of this. Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. There is the therefore. There is the conclusion to the whole matter. He doesn't want you to be afraid for your earthly body. He doesn't want you to be afraid for your soul. He doesn't want you to be afraid that your life is insignificant or doesn't matter. No, he wants you to give a good profession and confession of your faith in Jesus Christ everywhere and to whomever he desires or decrees. No matter what. And here the Lord concludes with a wonderful encouragement, but also a fearful caution. With everything the Lord just said, he concludes with the confession that one must make of Jesus Christ. If Christ himself will make of you in the final day. He says, whoever confesses me before men. A lot of people like to leave out those two words, before men. A lot of people would say, my, my faith is very personal. I, I don't share those things. Or I just hate confrontation. Who doesn't hate confrontation? 
or this is just such a personal matter with me. No, it's not. Not for a true Christian. It's not a personal matter. You are bought with a price. You're not your own. If it's personal, it's Christ's person. Or I'm just not given to words. Go, Moses, who made your mouth? A lot of people want to blot out those two words before men and just be a disciple in their heart. But read the words and the Lord does not leave you that possibility. Whoever, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus will make a confession publicly. To his father. If you make a confession publicly. For him. But then he goes on. And he gives us fearful caution. But whoever denies me before men. Him I also will deny before my father in heaven. He doesn't leave us any neutral ground here. Clearly our Lord is calling. Attention to the public confession. Or a public denial. And I cannot be a faithful minister here. I cannot impress on you enough that everyone who has a genuine faith in your heart, that it is necessary to make a public confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Necessary. In the days of the church past and perhaps even in churches today, but certainly has been scripted through things that we read of church history, when there were places and times of very widespread persecution, leaders had to meet together to discuss this kind of thing about a secret disciple in view of the high cost that it would cost them, the price that they would inevitably pay. And this has been a very matter of, of, of prayerful deliberation and consideration as elders meet together in a place that if, if the members of their church go out and they're bold with the gospel, it could mean imprisonment in life. And this was just the norm. This was just going to happen. This was not a question. This, and they deliberate over these things. And as they come together consistently, and continually, they have come back to the location that Jesus has told them here. And while there can be allowance for confession and a variation of forms. Nevertheless, someone who is characteristically unwilling. Not to speak of Christ in public. is in risk of being disowned by Christ himself. So put yourself as a, as a father, giving your counsel to your child in the context of real persecution. Or think about the responsibilities and burdens of elders if this were our kind of real context today, facing us week to week and day to day, when we know of all the ramifications and we have to counsel our people, when you go back out there, you can't fudge. You can't fudge on this one. You cannot deny Christ. 
you have to speak of Christ. You cannot shrink back. And think about it, people. When you succeed, there is nothing sweeter. Nothing sweeter than when you hear the Lord Jesus Himself speak up on your individual behalf and owns you for His own in the presence of His Father. On the other hand, there's a terrible warning. He who denies me. That's the opposite of confession. There is a denial that is nothing but silence in telling in the moment of the context of persecution. There are people that have denied Christ in just silence. So silence can be a denial. But with your mouth, with your mouth, with your mouth, confession is made into salvation. If you believe these things in your heart and you confess them with your mouth, thou shalt be saved. Just remember, He cares for your body. And he cares for your soul. But how much more? Think about it. How much more will it cost us in circumstances like ours that hardly cost us anything to confess Christ to our neighbor a little embarrassment is about the most that we face today? Folks, fear is an awful thing. And it is a powerful thing. That is what caused Pilate to wash his hands because he feared the crowds. Fear is a powerful thing. Do not give in to it. Do not fear, Jesus says. Do not fear, Jesus says. Do not fear. The cowardly, in Revelation, it says the cowardly will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not fear of your life or your impact, because there's going to be a future vindication. Do not fear men because there's a limit to the amount of damage that they can do. Do not fear your circumstances and the trials that you face or the potential ramifications because God even values your body because there are terrible or wonderful consequences to confession or denial of Jesus Christ publicly. And there's no fence riding here. So let's take courage. And be strong. And be prepared for the day of evil. Because it's not if it comes. It's when it comes. And will you be prepared to give. A confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason of the hope that lies within you. Let's pray. Our Father you've heard us today. You have given us this word. And we need your spirit to be full and powerful in our lives in that time that we would not shrink back from the gospel. We would not be ashamed or embarrassed of it. Lord, we know that our spirit is willing, but 
the flesh is so weak. So give us strength this day that we would be able to stand in the evil day. And Lord, we pray that when that day comes, that this message particularly will rise up above many and that would remind us of these exhortations. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. For our God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is in superintendence over all the events and over all the affairs and over all the details that will come upon us, that come around us, and that will happen to us. But we do know He is also a superintendence over our eternal soul and what glory there is that yet awaits us. So Lord, we pray that You would give us grace and be merciful to us when we fail You. Lord, we ask that You would strengthen us in our inner man even this time and this hour and this day so that not only for the future we would be ready, but we would take great comfort knowing that you care for us and love us today in these small ways, in these big ways, in these unimaginable ways, in the small things and the big things, in all details of our lives. Encourage us today with the power of the gospel. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone among us here today that has not given themselves over entirely to Christ, may you so work right now in their hearts to do so, that they would give a confession for the Lord Jesus Christ publicly. In Jesus' name, amen.